This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the $4.5 trillion U.S. dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. On this episode, we have Swedeen Jitti. Swedeen, known to her friends as Sway, was born in Manchester, England. She escaped a domestically violent household where she suffered physical and psychological abuse and ran away to attend Pembroke College at the University of Cambridge. Given her experiences, she studied psychology and has devoted her life to adolescent mental health. Post-graduation, she relocated to Dubai. She initially focused on child mental health, but has now launched her own practice where she focuses on adolescents and their parents. She also has become a communications and mindset coach. In addition to her mental health and coaching practices, she has launched a digital agency with her husband, and she's working on a book called Hughes of Her. She also hosts a podcast called Polite But Savage. Swayleen, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, very impressed with uh, your background and all that you've accomplished and the candor with which you've talked about your experiences. I know that uh, couldn't have been easy. Um, I know that uh, you're um, chatting with us now from Dubai. Is that where you were born? No, I was actually born in UK, Manchester. I see. And uh, I came to Dubai about six years ago. Okay. And this is where sort of my career life started. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll get into that. Uh, now, <laughs> um, you've, I've seen in some uh, articles uh, or some interviews you've done that uh, you came from a, a mixed race family. Can you share about yes. that? Um, so I come from three different races and I'm a third culture kid. I, I grew up as a third culture kid myself. Um, I'm half Bangladeshi, half Palestinian, and uh, I've got Hispanic roots. So I come from different, different cultures. Um, and growing up in UK, that's a different culture altogether compared to where, you know, where my cultures actually root from. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a proud mixed race woman. Uh, I wasn't always. Um, and I think that's something every woman, every man kind of goes through in their life um, because of how, you know, media projects about certain cultures and how there's always that you have to be that one thing to fit in. Yeah. And I think it happens in every country. Even when I came to Dubai six years ago, um, <laughs> even though it's such an international base, just as, you know, UK was, but over here I had such a hard time fitting in because the Hispanics would be like, Oh, you're not too, you're not Hispanic enough. And, uh, the Bangladeshis would be like, you're not, you're not Asian enough. And the Arabs would be like, you're not Arab enough. So I had to sort of, you know, build my own space to be comfortable with the fact that I'm a woman full of wonders and there are many people like me and I just have to be proud of my roots no matter where they come from. A hundred percent. And it's so great that you say that. Uh, I mean, what I see is you're a woman of the world and yeah. that you've got uh, such great representation and, uh, you know, the, the cultural identity aspect, or, that's always very fascinating. And I've, I've struggled with that a bit uh, in my own life, but it doesn't sound nearly as uh, extreme, just uh, having been born in Germany to parents of Indian origin and then going oh, wow. back to, you know, being raised in the States uh, ultimately, and then going back to uh, India regularly and having cousins who would, uh, uh, um, shame me senselessly about my accent and uh, <laughs> right? I mean I've been to I've actually been to India once and mm -hmm. um, and it's an amazing country mm. obviously like every other country it has its good and it's bad the people wear their hearts on the sleeves which I love no. No, that's but um, I, I do agree you know <laughs> they have this certain fascination with someone who's not 
Indians. Exactly. Who looks so, like us but doesn't speak Hindi in the way exactly, that they Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, and that this is actually uh, my favorite city is Mumbai, and uh, the reason oh, wow. that happened is um, most of my cousins, most of the family we have is in New Delhi. Um, mm -hmm. Since Hindi is native to New Delhi speakers, within the second sentence, they automatically say, oh, you're from outside to me because I can't shield the accent very well. Uh, but in Mumbai, since the, the native to that region is, is Marathi and there's mm -hmm. a lot of Gujaratis there. So Hindi is like learned for them. So they can't detect it as well. And I, yeah. I kind of blend in more. So. That's great. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I at least you found your middle ground. And I think yeah. that's what matters. Yeah. No, that's true. Well, it's funny, you know, as, certainly as the U.S. grapples with uh, race relations currently and, and growing up, I've reflected on that significantly. Um, you know, it's always like there was no place that was really home. Like I'm a yeah. foreigner kind of everywhere I go. And it no, sounds I, like... I, no, I'm so sorry to cut you off, but like, it's I think that's the case for almost every mixed race yeah. person, whether it is, you know, the fact that they were, you know, raised in a different culture or they come from a different culture or they're part of two different cultures. You just have to make your own home. There's yeah, nothing, absolutely. you know, you won't find a sense of belonging anywhere. Yeah. It's because it's not, it's not a place. It's never going to be a place. Yeah, it always will be the people. Yeah, yeah, that's well, very well said. Now, I'm curious, um, Swedeen, the the Hispanic side of your lineage, did that uh, sort of have a presence in your life through a grandparent or? Yes, um, my dad's mom is okay. uh, Hispanic and she passed away a while ago, mm. um, but she did have a very strong imprint on me growing up because yeah. uh, my parents and I weren't very close. Um, they were my mental and physical abusers for a really long time. Yeah. So the only grounding that I had and sort of family that I had was my younger sibling, which was my younger brother and my grandma. I, right. I didn't from here's the thing when you grow up, cause I, I don't know if how familiar you are. India and Bangladesh sort of have similar roots in sure. terms of culture. Yeah. Right. So when my father married someone out of that culture, especially an Arab woman, yeah. um, they, we also, um, he was of a different faith. She was of a different faith. Right. So there was a lot of issues in their own families. So they went through their own trauma and everything. So connecting with my grandparents was really difficult, but I think the fact that even as a child, I was always so aware of the fact that I'm so different mm. in my own way to my parents, to my grandparents. It allowed me to sort of have that empathy towards my parents, towards my you know relatives and just want to know like, where do I come from? Yeah. <laughs> what are my origins? Right. Like, what is the root part of Swedeen? Um, so yeah, my, my grandmom, Aulitha, was a, a big inspiration. She is the reason why I, I kind of held out in the toughest moments. So yeah. Amazing. Wow. And so she was there with you in Manchester? Yes, she was. Cool. Uh, she came in every, um, she was like, she wouldn't stay there with us, mm -hmm. like full term, but she would come in and take care of me and my younger brother every now and then. Wow. So mm -hmm. she was, she was, she was that anchor at the times yeah. when we didn't have an anchor. Yeah. And what's her country of origin? Uh, oh, she's Hispanic. She's uh, from Spain, Seville. Spain. Ah, okay. So, yes. Sevilla. Yes. Are you Spanish speaking by chance? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. Um, I speak... Oh, that's great. Uh, did you pick it up in Germany or no, in India it, or it, your travels? In, in my travels in the U.S. And, and that's so amazing. Having lived in New York and uh, and L.A. and having gone for business a lot to uh, South America, uh, 
picked it up and so it's so easy to maintain and given the cultures that we have uh, yeah in los angeles i can speak spanish every day it's it's hard to maintain it here um and in the uk uh because my husband as well he's from a completely different culture from me Uh, he's also mixed race so i don't have anyone to practice with so i'm excited that you know i found another person (laughs) so there we go yeah so so whenever we get off the call or whenever you get a chance i'm just going to call you up and go like i see i need i need someone to practice my roots with perfect cambiamos a espanol that would be perfect (laughs) i would love that um uh this is so fascinating by the way i love thank you for being so so open and sharing um uh, this background um and so we are going to get into something that is a bit more sensitive because you talked about trauma you experienced and, and i know that uh at 10 um yeah, given that there was mis- uh, the domestic violence and trauma that was uh, surrounding you, you uh, began hurting yourself. Um, yes. If you're willing, please share with us what that experience was like. So I don't realize, um, I didn't realize when it actually began for me, but I was 10 when I began sort of becoming aware that what was happening to me was not normal in mm. You know, I wasn't just being disciplined. It was more than that. It was way more than that. Um, I started beginning uh, beginning to pick up on the fact that my parents were projecting onto me their trauma, which they haven't dealt with, they haven't healed from. And I was just 10. I was just a little girl who had no clue what was going on. And the bruises on my body, the wounds on my mental state, were just becoming worse day by day. And I I didn't have the capacity to hold all of that. And I remember it it just happened all of a sudden that I looked at something really sharp and I was like, I'm going to just try seeing if this is going to replace the pain because that's what I wanted. I wanted to replace the pain that I was feeling on a daily basis with people that I thought were my caretakers, my protectors, And after I self-harmed for the first time, I went up to my mom and I said, look, I'm going through this phase where I feel like I'm going into a rabbit hole and I'm getting anxious about everything. And what she said broke my heart because she said, okay, go ahead, do it. This is not going to get my attention. And as a 10-year-old girl, For me, even now when I remember it, it breaks my heart. Uh, I don't think, you know, um, no matter how much you've healed, even though I've done all the healing work, I've put the band-aids and, you know, wrapped everything around it. The fact that at that time, the inner child that's hurting today and that little sway who just wanted the mom to be like, you know what, it's okay, we're going to work through this. But none of that was told to me. And I just continued on this path. And being that girl who was always, I was always bubbly. I was was actually an A-star student. I I did everything with full passion. Mm. So when the pain hit me and the fact that I was hurting myself, it started putting this layer of guilt onto me. So every day, every time I would do some sort of self-harm or act of self-harm, there would be a guilt right after that. Why am I hurting myself? Mm -hmm. I have no rights to hurt myself. So I was not only blaming and hurting from all those other people that were hurting me in my life, but I was also blaming and hurting myself. I was angry with myself that I'm letting myself down. Um, I found a way to sort of, you know, find a middle ground for myself, um, by music and writing, because I realized that if, if I'm, if I'm hating on myself so much for something that's literally taking my blood out of my body, I should do something to sort of balance it out. And that was my logic at 11, 10 years old. Um, potent rationality for that age 
for you to have just I, I know everyone taught even my therapist at a later age did tell me that uh you were quite aware and i'm i'm really really grateful i can't i can't i can't you know tell anyone enough or myself how grateful i was that at that age i decided that i'm not going to continue on just doing on just trying one form of you know um the taking out of the pain i'm going to try something else as well so i expressed all my dark days all my good days through the music through the writing um but the pain never stopped of course and the self harm was still there for quite a bit but i did have something to sort of renew that energy every day to sort yeah. of recycle all of that that i was feeling it was, a, um, it was an outlet i mean these are all forms of escape including attempted suicide as a form of escape yes. you just want the suffering to end and you're right uh, the the creative expression can't fix it but it's yeah. it's a release valve um, it, it was and then you yeah. mentioned you, you were writing but you were also writing songs yes i that's kind of where it started the writing um began as a form of self expression mm. and then i i just picked up nobody taught me any musical instruments i just picked up on the piano and picked up on the keyboard picked up on the guitar and i just started feeling so close to nature close to the universe and i felt like okay this is this is maybe my safe space maybe i can make this safe space for me because at that age i had no one everyone else i would reach out to uh i remember reaching out to um a counselor in my school and i said this is what's going on and she said no it's fine it's okay and wow. this is kind of one of the reasons why i do what i do today because i have actually seen the negative the money monger side of you know people who put on the facade of you know um yeah i care about mental health i care about kids i care about this and i i asked for one of those people for help and they just turned me down that apathy is really um extraordinary especially as somebody who's infused and entrusted with a, a role where they're supposed to be responsible it's and of course breaking parents are as well like there's this meant to be this unconditional bond of love mm. and um I I'm a parent and I certainly feel that with my own children but uh you know I've actually seen the uh that level of abuse and then sort of the callous response um from parents and you're you're so wise to describe it the way you do there are people who are uh I mean I'm in my 40s uh I'm 43 but there I have peers who haven't gotten to a place of understanding where you have where mm -hmm. you understand that your parents were projecting a trauma they personally were dealing with and and they couldn't they hadn't resolved it or addressed it or healed from their own pain so they put it on you and um in many ways that's uh I had a similar household uh in mm -hmm. that way um my my father was very abusive but he was more psychologically mentally abusive to understand where that came from my my father's narcissism and his uh lack of control that he sensed in his life uh and then taking it out on those that he could control um it uh you know that's that's a pattern that's there and uh it's it's extremely challenging but there is something exceptionally liberating when we can identify it and we can describe it in very plain terms like mm -hmm. that um it it kind of it it saps some of the energy and the emotional uh response yeah. that that we have but i, I was it was you know, i mean impressed with how you described it just now and you even it was sort of there were some elements of ptsd that uh, mm -hmm. you know it, it's always going to be there it's going to be energized and charged uh, in that way no because his thing right um when i sort of like there was a point in my life where i just i i don't have any ties with my father or my mother Okay, I'm going to ask you. Because it was no longer safe. They didn't want to get help. It was like they were so um, you know, they wanted to hang on to whatever they were feeling because they've been hanging on to it for so long they didn't know anything else. Yeah, it's too familiar. And it's it, it, 
Exactly. It was way too familiar. And I think some people are just scared to leave that shadow, the shadow of all of that. And it wasn't, it wasn't benefiting me. My father tried to kill me. That was my, that was my, you know, last straw. When he tried to do that, I left home and never looked back because when he did try to kill me that very night, it was my birthday. It was my 15th birthday. And I remember my mom telling me, they, they were actually fighting over. My dad stabbed me with uh, my mom's heel and I still have a scar here, which reminds me constantly about what I went through. And when I was bleeding on the floor, my mom and dad were like, my mom was telling my dad that uh, she needs to go to the hospital. My dad said um, she can't because they all know that it was me. And I just sat there thinking to myself, you guys are fighting over the fact if I should, if I deserve to go to the hospital because of, you know, to save your skin. In the end, she did come to the, she did drop me off to the hospital, but she didn't even come into the ER section with me. She didn't even come into the hospital with me. All she said was, make sure you don't tell anyone it was your father. And I did, I lied for them. But that was the last lie I said, and I just left. I saved up all the money that I could, went to my desired university, really told myself that I know there are people who are maybe going through much worse than I am, and I want to be able to help people even before they come to that stage where they bring humans into the world and project all their unresolved, you know, trauma, wounds from their past onto those human beings who who deserve to have their own individual life. As much as I'm grateful for everything that I've been through and it has made me the resilient person that I am today, but I still hurt for the little Spadine. Um, She wasn't happy. She deserved a much better childhood. So, yeah. yeah. Um, gosh, so many themes there. Um, I, cause we, only because I think I'll forget later. Um, yeah, it is an unfortunate consequence that parents' unresolved issues um, is, are inherited by a child and they have to base the, the brunt of it. Um, yeah. I don't know that we ever get fully resolved. The, the key is, what's our orientation towards our children. I, I know that some of the things that I, my family passed of my kids have been affected by it, but um, being fallible and being honest in, in that fallibility, I think is yeah. so important. Kids can be exceptionally forgiving as long as you show them pure love and affection and apologize and say, you know, daddy wasn't yeah. at his best in that moment, he's sorry. Um, and, and that's a basis to, to move on. So, um, the sense of protectionism though, I'm, I'm well aware of, um, I don't speak to my father in a similar vein that, that, that you're not interacting. But, I love the fact that, you. um, you know, my soul found yours, your soul found mine. Well, exactly. And think- There's purpose and meaning. And I love when the universe gives us these gifts and this is exactly how I, I, I feel about it. Um, there I, I love your orientation around how you describe your past experiences and the mission you are on now mm-hmm. to be of service to others. I think it's, it's mm-hmm. so exceptionally beautiful. I just had such a different mentality. Um, I was sexually abused, not by my father, but um, you know, once you kind of go through the trauma toll, I went through a lot. Um, I, I went into a relationship um, that portrayed the same exact things that my father did, yeah, and to do that, it's uh... and and worse, and uh, it hurt me. It hurt me for a really long time, and healing was uh, close to impossible for me at that time because all I wanted to do was burn the world and watch yeah. it burn. Yeah. And I think it's a very normal, you know, way of thinking when you've been so deeply hurt by someone you trust so much. Yeah. Um, it's not just the physical trust that you had, 
you know it's also that trust that it it doesn't morally sit well with you and and there's and the bigger part of this is that you think you end up thinking that maybe you you played into that story of it to come out so morally wrong Mm. so that's the battle that's always there that's why the healing never starts i'd appreciate you talking through that um just going back to your timeline um so at, at 15 you you basically left and i think you went to university right you studied at yes. cambridge yes i did uh pembroke college pembroke college gotcha yes um i i saved up for years um ever since i started you know realizing that i am going through something and this is in the place i would try to find ways to stay out of home and that would be like babysitting around the neighborhood or tutoring or doing any sort of odd job basically i saved up quite a bit because i wasn't much of a spender i mean i was just Mm -hmm. 10 when i started doing all of that um so i had a good amount of money enough to keep me through for the first year of my tuition fees and food but i did not have enough for a home you know a roof over my head so for three months I was homeless but uh, I figured my way out (laughs) and um, it's it wasn't the best time of my life because there was a lot of shaming and nobody came to look for me Um, and when I did try to reach out to my mom not my father because he was just he, he didn't even want to say sorry so there was no point in speaking to him when I did reach out to my mother, she said that, no, we don't want to look for you. We just want to teach you a lesson that you need us in life. Anywhere you want to be, you need us. And that drove my motivation home like no other. I said, right. if I'm going to have to be on the street or, or live, you know, because this is what I did. I would find any ran- random lecture hall and just sleep at the back of the, you know, classroom. Really, and this is just a remarkable story. I mean, you're homeless and you're attending <laughs> Pembroke College, Cambridge. So, I mean, one of the most I, prestigious universities in the world. Yes, uh, people often tell me that, but I, I don't think that's what Matt says, really. There were many people, there were many, many people, I seem who've been through so much that I've met during my time in university and I'm glad that I found that community and I'm glad that I went through what I went through because I worked harder than everybody else that I knew in my you know timeline and knew around me um it's it's just one of those things that I don't tell people you know, when they asked me like, oh, how, how was it? You left home and stuff. Uh, this is the first time that, you know, I'm actually talking about it and reminiscing on it. Um, it means a great deal to me, sweetie. You honor me that you chose, you, that, that you're being so open. Thank you. No, it, not at all. I, I feel this energy because I feel like, you know, my soul found yours, like I said yeah. before. Yeah. And it's so important to know that Every time, you know, I, I look back onto everything that I've done, everything that I've accomplished, there has been a flip side to that coin. And uh, I wish, obviously, that things were different at that time. I wish I wasn't homeless. It was a tough time. And I can't, I can't uh, you know, as much as I want, I can't make that experience small. But it was something that really made me so grateful for everything that I have today. Um, I was about to die because of my father. I'm grateful to be alive. I was homeless once. I'm grateful for the roof over my head. And I think these are the small things that people forget to be grateful about in their day-to-day lives. I'm just overcome with emotion, quite frankly. It's uh, such a touching story. It's not often that I don't know what to say. Um, <laughs> I, mean, uh, I didn't make to make you emotional. No, no. I'm it's um, I just, um, God, you're like the uh, kid sister <laughs> I've always well, wanted. I'm, just, I'm so, I hope this doesn't sound pejorative. I'm so intensely proud of Thank you. Thank you. 
That's, what you, that means a lot to me. What you overcame, what you grappled with, and you survived. You not only survived, you, you've thrived. It's, uh, it's really extraordinary, mm -hmm. and it's so rare. This usually breaks people, and it didn't break you. It, it, it bent you to the hilt. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it did. You know, I never told anyone for the first year of my university not my lecturers, not my university friends. I actually kept so close to myself. Nobody knew until I, w I was ready myself that I'm going to tell them that this is what happened to me and maybe I need help. Yeah. Um, but it, now that I'm reminiscing on it um, and the fact that, because there are not many people I still remember what my mom told me. You know, She said that I, I can't make it. And I genuinely felt at that time that I will probably not be able to make it without them. Um, how do people make it without having a roof over their head for God knows how long? So yeah, it just, it feels good. Thank you so much for acknowledging. It means a lot to little Sway back then. It means a lot to me right now. Yeah, it so should. Thank you. It should. It's a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment. And, and we, we, we share that too. I mean, I was, it was under very different circumstances, but I also escaped and uh, uh, I left home at 16 to go to university. And we, we both graduated at the same age. We were 19 when we, we wow. left. And uh, this is such a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> this was meant to happen. The universe aligned this yeah. for this yeah. to happen. I am so grateful for you, Asim. I'm so grateful for the universe for making this happen. Well, it's kind. I appreciate you saying that. I, I feel spoiled in comparison, though, because uh, my parents did pay for my university. And that's why I, I left in such a structured way. But it was this the motivation was this mission of, I got to get the hell out of here. This is, mm -hmm. and so um, I, I, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, again, just to think, reflect back the, the how extraordinary was what, what you went through. Um, and again, so this, the, the pursuit of uh, psychology was also a part of the personal narrative to uh, unravel and understand. It was my goal. I think um, I initially, when I was young, I wanted to work with kids because I felt like, oh, this was little sway thinking that, oh, there must be kids who are going through something like this. Yes. I want to help them. This was how I thought. Um, as I developed, um, I just wanted to help. I just wanted to understand myself first, what's going on up there, why it makes me say certain things. Why am I having such bad relationships? How can I not per se fix it, but how can I evolve from it? So precocious of you. I, 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 I hope I was, Yeah. but that was my mission. I, I just wanted to understand myself because I wasn't being able to, I wanted to stop the self harm for good. And I wanted to see if, Anything that I learn can, you know, I can give back in twofold to myself and everybody else that, you know, surrounds me. So that was what motivated me towards psychology. And I also did double majors in English. So that was, that was another thing. It was my happy place when I went through all those terminologies in the lecture classes. And when I, when I just, you know, found myself lost in the literature, that was also my you know, safe space. So, yeah. It's the power of story to relate and relay the human condition. And that's why literature is always so brilliant. And I also love the poetry of you being a songwriter because you weren't being heard and that was your way to be heard. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, I'm actually... Um, I'm also an author. I write poetry-based books because oh, nice. um, I found out over the years that I can no longer connect to the words in a way, you know, someone would normally do. 
I have to put it in a way just the way I am. You know, I need to have a little bit of complexity in it <laughs> to, you know, make it seem like it's a, you know, fully finished product. So I'm working on a book right now called Hues of Her. It's basically my journey, but with, um, you know, with metaphorical relations to the rainbow and how each color represents each chapter of my life. That's really phenomenal. Um, well, and I, I read that um, you see people in color. Yes, I do. I do see people in color and it's not, uh, most people make fun of it, uh, make fun of me for it. <laughs> it feels like a but bird. It's, it's like, I, f I sometimes felt like it was a superpower, but when I started learning psychology and I started learning behavior um, and I started to understand why I see those particular colors on people, um, I no longer felt like it was like, you know, super power. It just made me feel more strongly towards the empathetic side that I have. Yeah. Uh, I just use it like I, it does wonders when I'm doing private practice and I don't tell this to my clients, but it does wonders when I'm doing private practice to actually clearly understand what behavior they're in, what state of mind they're in in that moment. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's brilliant. I mean, it's, uh, there are also, you know, people who are, uh, it's a part of being uh, that empath spectrum. People can read energy or they can just sense, you know, walking into a room, what's happening or through touch, yeah. being able to sense what's going on with somebody. So it's, uh, it's, it's along those lines, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, the sexual abuse that you talked about, the re relationship that was uh, damaging, was that while you were at uni? Uh, yes. Okay. It was, he was my best friend for quite a bit. Mm. And we got together after a lot of dragging from his end, you know, making me feel like I, I need to, I need, I deserve to be cared. That's, that's the facade that, you know, it was under that I need to be cared for. I need to be taken care of. So I should be um, with someone, even though I didn't feel the need at that time. I felt mm. like the last thing I need in my life yeah. is people that I care about because I understood very early on in life that in a relationship, even though there's so much emotion, negative or positive from their end, there's so much that I'm giving in it, without even me knowing that I'm giving in yeah. and I didn't want to give that in because it hurts, you know, even if it, even if they're doing something to sabotage themselves, it hurts. And me being an empath, if they did something to me and I understand why they're doing it because of their personal reasons, it hurts me even more, not just for myself or what I'm going through, but it hurts me because they're hurting. And this is how mm. they show me that they're hurting. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't expect for how things happened with him. Um, and the sad part is that he also was very unfaithful. Um, he already had a family. I was sort oh. of the other woman. I see. And I knew this two years after, no, not even two years, like one and a half year into our relationship. And that was, that was the last of it, I would say, that kind of tied up all my miseries in a bundle. Um, haven't been able to, you know, reach out to him yet. I, ha I haven't been able to, you know, even tell him how I feel till date because it took me a while to get into a healthy relationship. I'm blessed with a healthy relationship right now in life. I have a husband who... <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to say this, but he's he's such a gentle soul, and I'm so grateful for him. Like this but, exactly what you needed. Yeah, um, but I, I'm not I'm not there yet to sort of reach out to him and let him know truly how much he hurt me because he wasn't just my partner at that time. Yeah. I I shared my secrets with him. Right. You know. I, I told him my story when I wasn't ready to tell my story. Right. Yeah. And when he did that, it broke my heart. Of course. In, well, you, 
you felt it was safe to overcome your sense of shame and be that vulnerable. And when that was a betrayal, it's like, wow. Um, It's like uh, really not just pouring salt on a wound, but sort of uh, (laughs) rubbing it in. Uh, uh, That's uh, it's very challenging uh, to go through, but uh, you survived that. And uh, so uh, when you did graduate, you, you did focus on, uh, school-age children um for four years you were with gems education yes i was um that's how i came to dubai on a permanent yeah that's how i came to dubai Uh, i worked for gems for four years i started off as a special educator and i catered to autistic children down syndrome children and i was sort of the relation um speaker between helping the parents understand what they need and helping them understand in their own way what the parents needed. So that's how I began my journey. That's critical. That, that being able to, the parents being able to understand and uh, I'm sure you, because of personal experience, you were very adept at dealing with uh, parents who were maybe resistant to some of the things that they needed to hear. if They were going to be supportive of their, their children. Um, Why Dubai? Sway. So I actually came to Dubai with my father even before I left home. That was once um, he had something going on here. And at that time, I wasn't sure 100% that I was going to get into Cambridge. I mean, it was a long shot for me. And everybody kind of told me around me that, you know, getting into a college like that is difficult. So I said that maybe, you know, I could, I could go somewhere else and check out other study options. And that's what I did when my father decided that he has some business here. Cause he was, he was on a pretty stable, I wouldn't say just stable, but he was doing pretty good in terms of income, in terms of his life. He was a really successful businessman at that time. So I said, I'm going to come along and I already because I know that he's not going to be around me much whenever he goes on work trips, it felt safe. And it also felt like a good escape from home and my mother, because my mother's mental burden that she was going through was a lot harsher than the physical things that my father did. And I was closer to my mom than my father. So it hurt me much, much more. And I needed that break. So I came to Dubai then um, how, how just old to were you look around. I think I was 14. Wow. Okay. I was 14 and I started looking around to see if there are any options for what I wanted to do. Uh, there wasn't, but I made good money <laughs> and I went back. <laughs> so when I first got the opportunity, I actually met one of my, I wouldn't say tutors, my, my senior's tutor who was in Cambridge, yeah. she was working in GEMS and yeah. she knew me and right. she knew all the side work that I was doing. I was doing a lot of hustling. Right. I was already assistant to a few therapists in nurseries and schools on the side while I was doing uh, my university. So I wanted to get that credibility so I don't have to, you know, get that rejection after university because I knew I was going to graduate soon. Right. When uh, I got the offer, I was like, I don't really have to think. This is probably a sign. And I wanted to get out of Manchester for a really long time. So many, so many things happened in that country for me. Um, I needed to start afresh somewhere. And I was going to do it on my own this time, 100%. You know, no father, no mother, no siblings, nobody to tell me anything. I'm just going to be on my own. So I took the decision, I came here, and I began my journey. Amazing. Incredible. Um, So you were at GEMS for four years, and then uh, you began functioning as a a therapist and early childhood educator? Yes. So I was actually doing both of them at the same time. Um, I was working for, um, I, I don't know what you guys call it in the US, but a nursery, you know, before you yeah, start. Yeah, like a kindergarten or preschool. Yeah. Yes, preschool. Uh, so I, w- I was working in a nursery because I wanted to be more in touch with the earlier stages yeah. of development. And by that time, I had already finished, um, you know, 
the early childhood certification that I needed. And I'm, I'm a huge goof about knowledge. So if I, I'm just going to continue getting certifications, that's what I want. I just want to keep, <laughs> you know, getting knowledge. So at, by that time, uh, it was time for me to leave GEMS because I didn't feel the comfort anymore. I wasn't being able to serve my students to the best of my abilities. A lot of the students were going through similar issues like me. And GEMS being a big name wasn't being able to cater to those things. Um, And I felt like this is no longer my purpose. This is no longer leading me to the path that I want. So I left and I, working in a nursery gave me enough time to sort of practice my private practice on the side. So that's basically it. Uh, I started working for behavior enrichment, which is a center here also for kids um, it gave me a good backhand because I was sort of training with a therapist already, but on the side, I also had private clients who were adults. Mm-hmm. So I was doing like a three way and finding my ground to understand, okay, am I more, you know, towards children, more young adults or mm-hmm. adults? It gave me that experience and that time to understand where I really wanted to niche down yeah. in my field. And and what have you concluded? So I work with young adults and adults. Um, I no longer work with children. I've spent a good few years doing that. But every now and then, um, I do work with moms and dads, particularly, to help them understand their kids better, especially ones who are on the spectrum or who have gone through some sort of trauma like me or are dealing with some mental illnesses. So my, um, the, the group that I sort of cater to are those people who are kind of in charge of the development stages of the younger ones yeah. before they even reach a young adulthood. Nice. So. Well, that's phenomenal. You found um, your, we have a colloquialism here, your sweet spot, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> where you can meet, have maximum impact and, and really yeah. um, help uh, people in a meaningful way. So you've continued with your practice. Yes, That's I'm continuing part to do of what, so, yes. what you do. Um, you know, you, you're uh, a woman of many talents. You've also become a certified life coach. Yes. You have a kaleidoscopic <laughs> vision, a, a digital marketing agency. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's a venture that I started two years ago with my husband. Okay. And it's, it's just been great. I love creating content, especially the kind of content, you know, that really helps people uh, get to where they need to be. Uh, my idea for it, event, uh, you know, the beginning stages was that if I want to make an impact, I really need to be at the top of the food chain. And media is at the top of the food chain. So <laughs> that was my idea of how to go about it. And so far, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that I've worked with companies that actually have purpose towards what they want to do. And they align with my purpose as well as a mental health coach and therapist and, you know, as an advocate for all things good and positive. So that's, that's amazing. Um, perspicacity is a word that has been coming to mind as I think about, as, as we have this conversation, uh, just your awareness, your, your brilliance and being able to synthesize this. And, uh, you know, oftentimes with people when they have significant trauma, like you've experienced, the emotions overwhelm and almost shut off the, uh, the rational side of the brain. Well, I suppose the physiological side of it is that, uh, it's a stress factor, the emotions. And so whenever that happens, you know, it, it, it becomes gating for our perceptions of the world. That never happened to you. No, it did. I still go through things. I still have anxiety attacks on days that things become way too much for me because I care too much. And that's never going to change, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to say it in an insensitive way. You've been able to overcome it repeatedly. (laughs) I'm very impressed by that. (laughs) Um, No, no, no. I just don't want it to seem as though, you know, it's all glitz and glam. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's, there's no, it's not a light switch that says, oh, okay, that's done now. It's cured. It's, um, 
it's, it's, it's always be a work in, in progress. It's just that I have chosen. Yeah. I, I, I wake up every day deciding, you know, what I'm going to make a good day out of this day. And sometimes things don't go my way and that's okay. I'm human. The universe is knowing what it's doing. And I just have to be grateful for every moment that I go through. Um, despite it being a positive moment or a negative moment. I just have to find my way through it the way I usually do. So it isn't, you know, um, all happy and, uh, no. you know, that, oh, it's done. It's, it's an ongoing journey. Yeah. It's forever going to be ongoing for me, especially with everything that I've gone through and everything that I am going through in my current state. I'm, you know, stepping into any, I'm a businesswoman now. And stepping into different ventures is a lot of stress. And who knew that? <laughs> um, certainly I didn't when I thought, I just, I, I was the kind of girl who was like, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. And I did it. <laughs> but there is so much stress aligned with it. And it, they're triggering sometimes, you know. Sure. Um, so it's going to be an ongoing journey for me. And I, I just, I can only hope for the best. Yeah, no, no. So all we can do is is do what's in our heart, what we're passionate about, put all our energy towards it, but then show the resilience that you so brilliantly show. Of you know, things are not going to go always the way we wanted to, and sometimes that will trigger. But you really, um, the term mastered has come. It comes to mind, but I understand that you know the caveats that it's always work but yeah it's just so impressive how you're able to navigate uh, those challenges uh, it's, it's a very inspirational you. story you're going to be so inspi inspirational to to so many others um and so it's I, I can only hope so um not inspiration but at least i can help them see that there is light at the end of the tunnel always people you know like the the all the other little sways out there they need uh they need to hear that um you've found that messaging you discovered that but uh it's not so obvious it's not so uh, easy to grasp so I, it, it's amazing the, the role model that you can be is is really phenomenal and i just love how you've embraced that that that's your mission that's what you plan on doing so Talk to me about um, how you would like to see the next five, 10 years of your life unfold. Where would you like to be? That is such a heavy loaded question. Um, I don't like to think too far off into okay. the future, you know. Um, all I want in an overall is to make sure that everything that I'm doing translates in a positive way mm. in every little thing that I do, you know, like pockets of glitter here and there, everywhere I go. Uh, but I definitely, if I want to be realistic, I definitely want to travel again. Yes. Um, I want <laughs> to be able to touch people physically, give them that hug that they need. And um, I, I miss, I miss traveling. Cause I, when I was working in gems, I had opportunities to go to, you know, little villages in different countries mm. and actually teach. And I, I miss that. And I want to be able to do this with my own private practice now yeah. and take my digital agency around the world, do a little whirlwind. Um, I also want to open an, open up an orphanage. It's been in my head for oh, a bit. Wow. Okay. Uh, I want to open up an orphanage in Iran um because my husband is half iranian okay. and uh if, if you're aware of what's going on there yeah. i think i think in, we need a place like that where the kids can be catered to on you know the educational level as well as the mental um, studies of everything that's going on with them so they can be catered to and represented on a bigger scale and given opportunities that unfortunately the country is not being able to give at the moment no it's so true um the part of los angeles where i live it's called westwood but it's also known as uh, little tehran 
Have a lot <laughs> the of, yeah, wow. A lot of uh, Iranian families here, so many of whom are great friends of ours. Um, I'd love to come there. I've never been to US, by the way. So oh, we have to fix never. That. So I, I have to. It's 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 on my head. Uh, it's on my checklist. I'm yeah. I'm definitely coming down. And I think my husband would love to come and see Little Tehran, wherever yes. that is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's just one strip. It's just a lot of Persian restaurants and shops, and uh, you see writing in Farsi on the on the window. Right. I mean, the, their culture. It's so rich. Yes. It's it's so rich, and I mean, um, their love. Um, I wouldn't say their love, but um, their poetry. Their you know, oh, Hafez. Just, my God, is it's amazing. gorgeous. Yes. It's gorgeous to the ear. It's gorgeous to the mind, yeah. especially for someone like me who's you know into it. Uh, I pick up languages really quickly, so Farsi yeah. was one of those things. Although I would say I'm still in training but I'm trying to write my own poetry in Farsi. It's going to be a long shot, but I'm not giving up. Wow. Oh, <laughs> so. That's, uh, wow, so many threads there. I mean, this, <laughs> uh, there's a lot strong cultural affinity that uh, kind of reveals itself, you know, with India and that part of the world, especially through, through literature. And like Urdu is is the language of, of poets, and uh, I already know Urdu, so oh man, amazing! Yeah, which uh, yeah, it's similar to Hindi, of course. The script, which is I know as well, so different. <laughs> My God, that's amazing! <laughs> um, and of course, you know, uh, coming from Bangladesh, you're Bengali speaking probably as well. Yes. And, uh, you know, in India, like the Bengalis always sort of carry the cultural banner mm -hmm. for, for the country. Our, our sole Nobel laureate in literature, Rabindranath Tagore. Mm -hmm. um, but also there's just a, a lot of writers that we have. Yeah. Contemporary writers come from. Not just writers, directors. I mean, I don't oh, know yeah, what you call the... I, I, I forgot what you call Because I know that, um, like... Um, Canada and Kerala all these places they kind of come under Tollywood and there was another uh something similar to Bollywood right. but I don't know what what it's called for those uh, for the Beng uh, the Bengali uh, movie culture yeah, or space yeah, but yeah. yeah they have amazing directors writers uh, and some of their films actually make it international which is great, yeah, right? Yeah. No, it's it, true. It, it's because they're more literary. You know, the yeah. fare that you get out of Bollywood or or uh, Telugu movies or Malayalam, it's all or Tamil. It's um, it's not very artistic. <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's definitely a lot of heart in them, though. Um, it's well, just it's, a, it's a escapism, and yeah. countries really needs it. I mean, it's. Uh, you look at uh, you know, Amir Khan does a great job of having more thought-provoking films. Um, um, it, he's done like Three Idiots, PK. Oh, right, right, right. Him, yes, yeah. yes. And then he's uh, good. Yeah, he's he comes up with you know, and in his when he first started making more art house films, Lagan was one that made the shortlist mm -hmm. for Best Foreign Picture Oscar. There is, uh, I mean, he's he's been in the movies for quite a bit. Amitabh Bachchan. Sure. Yeah. He's he's done some like even at his late age now, he's done some really good movies like Piku. I, I felt that was like such a heartfelt movie. Yeah. And then there is this movie that really touched me, which was Pink. Oh uh, yeah, you, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard of it. You should. You should. It's it's so well put about like everything and i think it doesn't even it doesn't just reach to the culture of what's going on in india i think it reach reaches to the culture which is generically everywhere yeah. you know when it comes to genders and how each gender perceives the other and how society perceives each gender right. and i think the way um he acted in it he really bought out uh, the truth of the film so yeah. Bollywood does have 
its own pockets of glitter. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, we do. And, and uh, I, I love how you use that term glitter. That's, that's very inspirational. <laughs> um, is there a movie in your future? Uh, I, I don't know. So about, I don't feel like it's necessarily going to be your own story, but it will be a story. Yes. Um, like, husband... I, think, I think your story will be told, but you're going to choose not to be the one to tell it. But you will do something else creatively. To... I, I, don't, I don't like to be in front of the camera. Um, I, like, <laughs> I like doing the directing because I, I also it... direct. That's what I so, actually meant. I meant more from a director yeah. standpoint. Yeah. I, I see you directing mm -hmm. films. Yeah, so. I, I'm um, with my uh, digital agency company. I actually do quite a bit of directing. I don't know if I'm if I'm going to be working on like a movie anytime soon, but it's in the charts. I'm thinking about it, but I don't want to. It's so important for me to sort of give space for everybody else that I feel like these stories need to be told first before I come to myself. Uh, once I feel like I've done enough of that, I will come to myself. It will, it will be like a nice, um, you know, like the infinity ring. It'll be a nice touchdown, mm. a full circle for me. So well said. That's, that's brilliant. And, and just the um, altruism there of uh, being of service is really um, stunning. Um, who is a director you admire? Um, I don't know any directors by name, oh, honestly. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you some of the movies that I like, but they're all like haywire. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this movie, but it's called Tales of Tales. Oh, it's an English movie. Okay. Uh, Tales of Tales. Uh, they kind of bring together different if I could only remember this guy's name, because he's so good. He brings everything um, in such a poetic way. His mm. movies are so well weaved. Um, and I, I think obviously it's, it's kudos to the writer as well. But this story is basically about different, you know, um, fairy tales, mm. but more in realistic versions okay. and how they have like negative um, conclusions, uh, negative connotations at the end and how one wrong move could make it just fall all apart. Wow. So I think they, uh, the movie really focuses on like these important characteristics that we think, you know, it's a small thing, like jealousy, it's a small thing, greed, it's a small thing, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm a little jealous of someone or uh, I, I'm, I'm a little uh, money hungry, but it, it really plays a big part as you keep thinking about it over and over again. So I love the psychological factor that he brought into this movie. Um, there are so many movies I could list, but I would have to send you them privately. <laughs> this would take like ages. <laughs> but yeah, the, that's one of the movies that really, um, it's one of the greatest works that I've seen yeah. so far in terms of like, because I like movies that have the psychological truth of it, but it also shows how humans are yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. So no, this is where art, and by that, I mean, literature, film can be so brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the ways I maintain my Spanish is reading um, some of the great literary masters of um, South America and uh, Central America. I wish I could do that. <laughs> but uh, here's the thing. I, I always have, like, I, I feel a little... Um, honestly, I feel a little ashamed sometimes when someone speaks to me in Spanish because I feel like my accents are so jumbled up from every, all the languages that I know. And because of the lack of practice that sometimes I feel like, oh, but I always have this to-do list that I'm going to improve on this. I'm going to improve on that. But I'm, like I said, I, I've been, right now I'm reading a book on Cosmos, the universe. Carl Sagan? Um, yes, I'm, I'm reading that book. I'm also reading a book, uh, it's called witchcraft, but modern day witchcraft. Mm. And 
I'm reading these because they have connotations to psychology and philosophy, which is yeah. my my you know my field. I love metaphysics, and I'm I always try to find connections between the you know the bridge between psychology and metaphysics. Um, so I I I hardly have time to read liter- literature books. Right. So I keep trying to find films or series that I can like you know quickly just watch while I'm reading because I can multitask very smoothly. But it's hard because, you know, mainstream films and mainstream um, uh, books are, they don't really have, uh, they don't really populate, you know, good literature and good movies. Yeah. So you have to go find it. And uh, that's why you're here. Like this. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to give me suggestions. Oh, happily. Uh, I find it's such a critical source of inspiration just to keep going, moving forward, and just in life in general. Um, just seeing that beauty um, is so critical. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. Um, it's been an amazing conversation. You're such an, you have such an inspiring story, all that you've accomplished, what you've done, the obstacles that you've overcome. Um, uh, so thankful and grateful to you for, for having done that. Grateful to call you friend. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.